Hi, this is Rebecca Basham, and you are watching the NeuroNoodle Podcast. Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans, and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. I have a, um, here There's one thing I didn't get out yet. <laughs> here we go. Oh, here yeah. Go. The I gotta get my little table. This goes like this. Is that a, ne- is that um, a Nexus 10? It's a Nexus. I also have a thought test. And FYI, at the upcoming ISNR next week, yeah. uh, on Wednesday, Tom Calora and Dolores Galaxiola and Thomas Feiner and I are presenting in a Wednesday pre-conference workshop all day on the integration of neurofeedback with biofeedback with ERP. When you see Tommy Calora, tell him Pete says hello and uh, please come on the show. We'd love to hear the stories of he and Jay back in the day. Oh, that would be great. Do me a favor, though. Yeah. Text me on text me on Wednesday the twenty third and remind me because I guarantee you my head is going to be two hundred thirty seven thousand places between now and then. Hey, and Le- I hey Alexa, <laughs> text Rebecca. A week from today at 8 a.m. Okay, Pete. Sorry, I couldn't find a contact matching Rebecca. <laughs> See your contacts. Go to the Alexa app. <laughs> You're not in my contacts, Becky. Becky, say Why hi to Dr. Murray. Well, you are now. It says uh, Siri found a contact. Could be Rebecca. Add. Oh. Um, there we go. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm in your contacts under Becky. I'm actually trying to lose the Becky. That's my little girl name. Rebecca yeah. on my birth certificate. It's a beautiful name. It's a big name. And I'm a little person. Okay, Re- Rebecca. Say hi to Dr. Marie Swingle. Marie. Mari. <laughs> hi. How are no. you? I'm good. You Yourself? Are, <laughs> you are like, I'm good. I'm here now. I'm like, <laughs> this site. You got to see. Um, this is my office on PCH. Can you, do you see that out there? That's, that's the Pacific Ocean in the Malibu Pier. Oh, should I make you jealous? That's pretty. <laughs> and where I are you? a lighthouse on the Baltic Pacific. Sea. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. It's my, my writing haven. I, I escape here to uh, the Baltic yeah. Sea. Where, yeah. which, which country? Sweden. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> well, I'm Latvian, so that's wow. across the the Black was the Black Sea, and then uh, Baltic, yeah, yeah. So Estonia, Lithuania. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I have never been to Europe, but I am scheduled to go. I bought a plane ticket. I'm going there next month for my 60th birthday. I decided, you know what? Oh, it's you. about time. Where and else are you going? On my birthday. On my birthday. In 20 there years? is the annual, no, on, no next month. Um, it is the annual, but thank you very much. It is the annual Great Stomping Wine Fest in Lisbon, Portugal. And I have a good friend, Sylvia, then now Dr. Sylvia Weatherall, just graduated from Saybrook. And she lives there and I've had a standing invitation. Nice. And she mentioned that this festival is on my birthday. I said, okay, I'm coming. Oh, I'm coming. And then I'm going to Paris mm-hmm. and the French Riviera because I have a colleague in, over there. And so anyway, that's yeah. next month. You guys are all crazy for the food in Portugal. It's amazing. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca Basham. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. Rebecca Basham. Welcome to the Neuro Noodle Neurofeedback Podcast. Dr. Marie Swing and soon Jay Gunkelman. Jay's going to be with us too. Of course, he pops in. He's he's probably okay. got his uh, his other Thursday person, whoever that is, and he'll 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 pop in. He's got his lineup. 
That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am so honored to be in your company. <laughs> oh, here he Thank is, you. here he is, here he is. <laughs> now, Rebecca, we ran into each other last October. I can't remember. It was someplace in Sioux Sun City. Uh, I believe we, we yeah. were looking eye to eye at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was some hole in the wall, Harbor Town. And, you know, and there's this, this guy we all know it was his birthday. We're having a party and, and, what, and this guy's really into EEG and that's what makes him happy. And so, so that's, that's where how, we met. Yeah. How tell, we met. Who are you talking about? <laughs> 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 hi, hi, Jake, Uncle Man. Hello, hello. Hello, Jay. Good morning. Good morning. Jay, look, we have Rebecca Basham here. Well, uh, uh, she, she's been in the field for quite a while and uh, has uh, earned herself quite the reputation in uh, EG and ERP <laughs> processing. So, uh, and I understand she's got a birthday coming up and she's going to like Paris and uh, traveling around. So it, huh. it should be fun. It's about time. I've never been to Europe. It's about time. Yep. Re Rebecca, there's some new people who just happen to tune into this podcast and they're looking at me and saying, whoa, what's that? And there's Jay. Thank goodness we got Dr. Marie and, and Rebecca. Rebecca, what's your background? <laughs> I, I I see in the notes here, and from the time that we talked before, you, you've done a lot of work uh, uh, with athletes and mental health. Uh, could you let everybody know your background? and uh, Plus, talk a little bit about Sioux Sun City, where we met last October. Okay. So, I mean, how far back do you want to go in the background? Like, how did we got I an hour. Go ahead. Neurofeedback. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> gee, it all started, I was born in a... Uh, Columbia, Missouri, when my parents were seniors in college, and I was that oops child, and uh, they kept me. <laughs> and um, anyway, the the long and short of it is that I haven't been back there ever since. As soon as they graduated, um, they, I was born in September, of course, my birthday is next month, and as soon as they graduated, they moved to California in June. I haven't been back there since. I don't remember a thing. Okay. Won't hold myself accountable. I was just a baby. So anyway, uh, the long and short of it is I, I grew up and um, I got, I, I wanted to be, always wanted to be a doctor, but that didn't happen. My uh, minor was physical education with an emphasis in exercise physiology. I was always interested in health because I was a very sickly child and, and um, grew up in a dysfunctional home. So the long and short of it is I was always seeking to be healthy and happy, okay? And so I started out as a health educator and worked my way through school as an x-ray tech. Started out in radiology, did a fellowship at Loma Linda University in CT and MRI. So that was my background in physiology. And I was particularly fascinated with neuroradiology and looking at the brain. I was so fascinated. But... I got disillusioned with radiology because I saw so much sickness and disease it broke my heart. I wanted to learn about being healthy. So hence going back to school and studying health promotions and exercise physiology. Then spent about 25, 30 years as a health educator. Also had three children in a four and a half year span, all of whom were wildly ADHD. Uh, Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Eh? <laughs> so, and so, Anyway, I, I was a health educator and then I realized, oh my gosh, people know how to be healthy. They know what to do. They know to eat right and exercise and, and you know, all these healthy things, but do they do it? Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, what the heck? What are they thinking? What's going on here? And I got into looking at brains. I, I found my way into neuroscience to figure out what's going on in their brains that makes them tick not just the people I was trying to help be healthy who weren't listening to me or taking my advice, same as the children who I, they weren't responding to all of my stellar uh, parenting tactics despite reading all the books and taking all the courses. So I really, I got into studying brains and neurofeedback and EEG brain mapping. This was about 13, 14 years ago. And 
then I realized that a few years ago that the brain's connected to the body and we could be doing neurofeedback till the cows come home. But if they continue to hyperventilate and hold muscle tension, we were not gonna get the answer. So the first thing you said to me when we tuned in, remember Pete, you said, we need to do some HRV. Absolutely, you've gotta just take a breath. You know, it's, it's written, it's written in song, in prose, it's even biblical, just breathe. That's foundational because that's how we oxygenate our whole body and our brain. So, so that said, um, fast forward, I found my way into neurofeedback, brain events, started out just putting a couple of electrodes on the head and I realized you know, we can't just treat people with symptom-based and, and uh, it, it, it's like flying blind, a crapshoot. I don't want me to offend anybody, but I really started asking questions and digging in deep. And, and I met the illustrious Jay Gunkelman online back in, I wanna say it was about 2011. He was one of my first mentors. Thank you very much, Jay. You're the reason why I'm still here for crying out loud, despite all the things that have happened to my brain between then and now, but, but uh, have led me on this path. And once again, to working with football players. But um, so I met Jay and he looked at my EEG for the first time. I had never been brain mapped before. And he read me like a book. All he knew was my name and my date of birth. And, and that I was a, a, a female. And, and he read all those little squiggly lines, those little neuro noodles. He read all those lines and he, he read me like a book. I was fascinated. I said, I want to learn how to do that. And that was back in 2011. And I've been on this relentless path to study and figure out brains and people and why they do what they do. And, and I'm that girl now who, who people send their data to me or I get the, the worst of the worst, the people who've been to the ends of the earth looking for answers and looking for help and nothing's working. And, and uh, between myself and my tribe of, of cohorts or partners in crime, okay, we, we figure it out so that we can help people so they don't continue suffering. My specialty is um, traumatic brain injury not just professionally, but personally, um, because I was an equestrian, emphasis on was, and have sustained several head injuries with and without loss of consciousness. And um, just, if I were anybody else and I did anything else for a living, I, I would probably be in diapers in an institution somewhere. And so my silver lining to everything is I'm here to help people recover from head injuries and I figured out over the years what it takes. And what that is, is a multimodality approach. It's not just neurofeedback, not just biofeedback. I, I also work with just layers of neuromodulation stimulation technologies and, and um, found all of these methods um, in addition to the neurofeedback. I just started with that when I was working as the director of the neuroscience department, actually started the neuroscience department at a facility in Oxnard, California, whose population was recently retired NFL football players. And, um, and these are guys who have suffered multiple, well, they don't like us to talk about TBI or concussion or head injuries, but, but these are guys who earned a living um, hitting their heads against each other in the ground and, and, and have had lots of impact and our brains just were not designed for that. And um, so I, I realized early on that I was going to need more than just a couple of electrodes and even a full cap neurofeedback. We had to really dig deep and help these guys, number one, get stabilized out of fight or flight, number two, get them to sleep at night so their brains could consolidate the learning that we were trying to teach them with the neurofeedback and then get to work and repattern, not just with the neurofeedback, like I said, but biofeedback to get them self-regulating their whole autonomic nervous system back into balance and homeostasis and then 
adding the stimulation technologies to help prepare the brain, help wake up areas of the brain that had been sleepy, so to speak, from uh, traumatic or vascular ischemia. And um, so wake it up with things like photobiomodulation, PEMF, or pulse electromagnetic field stimulation, transcranial magnetic stimulation, uh, microcurrent electric stimulation, just all of the above. And, and then as of two years ago, even added hyperbaric oxygen, oxygen therapy to help promote circulation and neurogenesis and angiogenesis. So that is my story. I am now currently located in Malibu, California at a lovely med concierge medical med spa facility and was brought in to start a psychophysiology department here. Sorry, we weren't recording. Can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> Just hit rewind. Okay? <laughs> so, so Rebecca, I'll be quiet. Now. <laughs> uh, concussions. Uh, Jay, are we talking about like deceleration? Like what is going on with a concussion? Because these football players, I mean, they're in a car wreck every day. And then blink of an eye, 30 years later, uh, they're having issues. Uh, what is going on with a deceleration concussion? And then what happens over the years? And we're, we're getting a lot of uh, exposure to neurofeedback besides this podcast, you know, uh, Netflix is, uh, has included neurofeedback with Kirk Cousins on a, ser a series called Quarterbacks. And these professional athletes are giving us exposure and broadening the pie. So now we have everybody's attention. Now it's time we have to do something. So again, what is a concussion and what happens over the time? And if somebody's going to get a concussion now, how should they train it or treat it versus these people that you're dealing with in Oxnard 30 years ago, what could they have done differently if you had a magic wand? I'll hang up and listen for my answer. <laughs> so first of all, concussion is actually a couple of steps beyond where it all starts. It's impact and the, the summation of the impact. So they total up and a lineman may be whacked upside the head and not get a concussion from it. There's no concussion protocol. They're not pulling them off the field. But every play, somebody whacks them upside the head. So they have continued progressive brain trauma. That's mild traumatic brain injury without a major concussion. And that's problematic over time. It probably starts much earlier than the pros, obviously, junior high, high school, college, you know, the, um, so, so it's a summation of brain trauma, not always concussion, but the next devil level up off of just having your head whacked and having, uh, mild traumatic injuries is a concussion, which is a more severe uh, feature. A concussion can include uh, gray matter, which is the most common, but it may, if it's a more severe injury, include white matter injury as well. Uh, gray matter injury changes in the brain an alpha and beta content, um, uh, temporarily ad attenuating the alpha, but it will recover. And uh, the, in a concussion, the brain swells. Now, if you get punched in the shoulder, and it's a good punch and you get a swollen shoulder a little bit i mean it's it didn't break anything but you know it's, it's it's a little bruised up shoulder well that can happen in the brain it can't swell out it compresses so what happens is you end up with uh, the blood vessels in the area all getting squeezed the microvasculature ends up having ischemia the pressure closes off not entirely closes off it attenuates the flow and if you have a concussion you have to rest the area the downstream area that's not getting enough blood flow because of the swollen area compressing the blood vessels uh, if you create a demand for function that exceeds that diminished supply line you actually create edema worsening 
swelling. And the hypoxia creates edema. Edema makes more ischemia. You can create cell death. Now, and that's as bad as it sounds. You know, it's, you know, cell death doesn't sound like a good outcome, does it? You know, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a, a little nibbling away of of, of function in, in the area. That's why with a significant concussion, they'll put you into a barbiturate coma so that you don't waste energy and capacity on consciousness and trying something. They let your brain recover before they bring you back to try to use it. And, you know, the the more severe the concussion, the more white matter injury is involved. And this was established by a very good study by Dr. Thatcher uh, doing a quantitative EEG, quantitative MRI correlation. Uh, and they, they basically saw white matter change corresponded with delta content while rhythmic slow content. And then alpha and beta changes uh, corresponded with, with the gray matter injury. And the, 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 you know, he was congratulated on adding to the science of uh, head trauma uh, by Dr. Neuer at the time. So, you know, uh, they, they may be adversarial in court, but um, the, 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 the actual science was congratulated. So we basically can see in the EEG where the trauma was. It's not always where the impact was. You know, um, if I'm uh, going forward and I stop suddenly, uh, like I run into the opposing player helmet to helmet, it happens on the line, doesn't it? You know, um, and that that's going to end up stopping my head. But my brain isn't the same as my skull and it can keep going forward in between the hemispheres. There's of the dural lining that dips between the hemispheres. When you get old, not like 10, 12, but 25, 30, that becomes kind of tough like shoe leather. If you've ever had to do a dissection, uh, 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 tearing the dura or cutting through the tentorum, that's tough stuff. Well, it's like having a shoe leather cleaver between your hemispheres. If your brain goes forward, the lining acts like an, an impact directly on the connect the, t the tissues that end up connecting the right and left frontal lobes. So you can actually decrease the connectivity between right and left frontal areas with a direct frontal impact with a deceleration, the, the, the acceleration and then a deceleration. So, um, you know, where the brain gets impacted ends up being sometimes a little difficult to predict because it's not always on the surface where you think it might be. That's actually deep. Um, and if you have the brain off to the side and you get impacted, you may have a coup contra coup and the, uh, a, a blow on one side of the head and with an impact on the other side of the head. So you end up with both sides injured. And you can't really tell entirely until you do some very careful examination exactly how the brain has been impacted. Where you have your scar doesn't necessarily tell you what's going on inside the brain. If the brain was twisted and you, and, and, and you got hit versus if you were straight on and got hit, totally different twists and twerk. So um, a traumatic brain injury is custom to the individual. And you, you can't use a cookie cutter, one size fits all protocol. How much gray matter, how much white matter, where in the brain, um, how much demand for function can you create before you exceed the capacity? You know, it, it, if, if I try to train beta in an area that's had impaired flow, that hyperperfusion demand isn't going to be met by the supply line. I'm going to create hypoxia, edema, and make the ischemia worse. So we've got to tailor our therapy to the capacity of the impaired brain and know what we're doing and where we're doing it 
uh, or we can make a mess of things. So, um, you know, the, it, it, uh, working with traumatic brain injury isn't a beginner's um, uh, uh, quest. This is an advanced uh, approach. There isn't a cookie cutter, you know, oh, you had a trauma, uh, XYZ is your protocol. Not, not, not at all. You've got to customize everything to the person's actual findings. Absolutely. And, and, furthermore, and you're not a disembodied brain. So, and as, I would also, as Becky says. I would also comment, I thank you for sharing that, Jay. So important because there are things that, that people try at home. Well, hey, I've heard that you're in for red, red light and, and, um, and, PEMF is good. I'm going to buy this device because it's supposed to be good. I heard that 40 hertz is supposed to heal. It's the solution for everything. But like you said, Jay, if you've got a terribly compromised area, 40 hertz is too much. I know because I've tried these things. I'm a learn it the hard way kind of girl. And that's been the, the silver lining to everything. I've tried it all and figured out what works. And I, I want to rewind for a minute when when um, Pete, you mentioned about these guys 30 years down the line, it's not 30 years down the line. I've worked with active guys, active guys. They were, they were in their early 20s. And these guys, they're out on the field. They're like, Miss Beck, I had a concussion every day. I hit my head every day. They could be young and they're still... I've, I've had young guys in their mid early twenties suffering with some of the same symptoms in some of the same severity as the guys who are in their forties and fifties. It doesn't matter how old they are. It's about, like you said, Jay, the number, the rep repetition, the guys are getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. It doesn't matter about helmet technology. That brain is still moving inside the helmet. Like you said, the, the helmet may protect the outside, but the brain is still moving. It's still bouncing back and forth against these structures inside the skull. Against, and not just the, the, the dura and the tentorum and, and the, um, the, the, the midline, but these bones here, the petrous ridges of the temporal bones, the brain, the very delicate structures in the temporal lobe, oops, he's got his head on backwards, go back yeah. and forth when you hit, and it hits those structures, the petrous ridges of the temporal lobe, and it's sharp in the cella turcica in the very center here. This is inside here is where the hypothesis, the pituitary gland sits. And that's the master gland that's in charge of hormones. We see hormone imbalances with guys with head Mine is missing. <laughs> and these structures, the, the top of the skull is very smooth and round, but underneath, this is like I said, my background is radiology, I understand this stuff inside and out. And the brain bounces around in here and it gets traumatized furthermore from the inside and helmets don't help that. You know, woodpeckers were designed for repetitive head injury. They have ligaments inside their inside their head that hold their brain in place but we don't have that i'm wondering i mean i know uh, this is primarily a, a u.s audience and and neuronoodle and we tend to focus a lot on american football um but you know jay when you're talking about the coup contre coup that's infamous in, in hockey uh, but now that the the Women's World Cup is is going on, i happen to be a fan oh. um, and just noticing i uh, i mean just visually there, I'm seeing more heading um, in female uh, soccer players or female um, uh, football players, uh, but using the European term. Can you comment a little bit, uh, Jay, on the, the different um, types of injuries based on sport and um, things to be more or less um, cautious of? Another thing also in terms of um, poor resilience in females, uh, typically because our neck structures are, are not as strong. So there tends to be more uh, impact um, on the brain because of the, the more movement from the neck versus males with stronger neck structures tend to be a little bit more uh, resilient. Can, can either of you chat a little bit more to? Well, I, I have to say as a swimmer, mm -hmm. 
head impact is not that common. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we don't hit the floor when we fall. Um, and if you're swimming and you're halfway conscious, you don't hit your head into the wall. So, um, but most sports, and which are team sports where there's contact, have a probability of head injury. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a matter of time. Basketball, well, you know, this, they don't do headers with a basketball, but they do get banged around and, you know, they, they'll hit the floor and their head will go back and you'll see them get up and have to go off. And, you know, that it, it's dangerous too. Um, there isn't a sport that doesn't have the probability uh, of head trauma. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is there brain trauma? And, and that, that's a subtle question. Uh, in the neurofeedback world, we do have discriminants, which are multivariate tests that, that, that try to discriminate between head trauma that had a brain injury and head trauma that had no brain injury. Yeah. Um, now, it requires the knowledge that there was a head trauma. And the other thing it requires up front as an assumption is that the EEG is medically normal. If the EEG is not medically normal, this is not a mild traumatic brain injury. Yeah. So that 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 you know the assumptions before you run the software are important. You know, you know they had a head injury. You're not fishing to see if there is one based on the outcome of the testing. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an inappropriate screening use of the exam. It's not appropriate. In fact, the author will warn you that that's you know you get false positives, uh, inappropriate false positives if you do that. But if you if, if it's somebody that had a head injury and you wonder if it's a brain injury and it doesn't have a severe uh, uh, head injury, in, like a s strong loss of consciousness, penetrating injury, I mean, that there. if it wasn't a severe brain injury, uh, a severe head injury, uh, it, then you can run these tests. And the test basically ends up giving you a probability of whether this was a head injury or a normal. And the two curves are somewhat separated. That's the effect size of the testing. And uh, they give you a probabilistic whether you had a head injury or not. And now they have a very low false positive if it's used as intended. If you use it as a screening, you would get a 50% false positive, And that's awful. You know, I mean, the flip a coin, uh, uh, you know, you've, the, you've got the wrong answer. So uh, if you use it as intended, it's a low false positive with a 20% false negative, uh, um, which is one out of five who had a head injury, well, that had a brain injury from it that are told that they didn't. So it, it, it's skewed to try to not get the positives that aren't there. But, you know, one out of five, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. at the other end of the 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 uh, row curve. The row, row curve approaches the ex extremes, and it shows you false positive, false negative uh, um, uh, rates as a statistic. Um, and uh, Roy John had a, a traumatic brain injury discriminant that was validated at about a year and a half after trauma. Uh, Thatcher's was validated at about nine months after trauma. Um, if you, oh yeah, I got, I, I got a, a, a really bad whack in the head here when I was six years old. Jay, well, actually, this is a good segue. Um, any comments on how soon uh, one should or shouldn't train post, let, shall we say, mild head injury? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, again, you, you don't want to overwork. Now, how soon you should train mm -hmm. may be early, but what you should train ends up being different. Uh, starting with HRV and relaxation uh, end up being without task-driven <clears throat> metabolic demand on brain function. Mm -hmm. But when you start working on brain function, you can't you know, suddenly demand beta frequencies. There's a correlation between EG frequency and perfusion that was identified back in the 1990s, 1998, if I'm not mistaken, for the paper 
Ian Cook at UCLA's uh, NPI, the neuropsych uh, uh, lab that did EEG, QEGs then. And they cor correlated, regardless of the location of the cortex, if the brain frequency was present, what was the perfusion? And that, you know, that they have a mean level of perfusion, hyperperfusion, hypoperfusion, you know, two, three standard deviations. They got all that all worked out. And what they found is that delta is actually positive perfusion. When you're asleep, you're making delta. And your brain is busy. I mean, you're, you're making growth hormone. Uh, the brain is recovering metabolically and at a cellular level. There's all sorts of re regeneration. There's growth. Uh, of, of neural uh, dendritic connections and sprouts and spines and all that's happening in slow waves. Um, so in the theta and alpha band, it's hypoperfusion up to about 11 or so. At that point, it's a neutral positive perfusion up to about 16. It's above the mean, but it's not hyperperfusion. And that magical little 11 to 16 range sounds familiar to people in the neurofeedback world, but it's often number. A 12 to 15 is classic SMR definition. And SMR is a neutral positive perfusion. It's a stabilizing rhythm, in fact, in the brain. And you can train that as a gentle on. Now, the blood vessel here that's supplying the downstream is regulated by the brain function. If I create a demand for, for function downstream, it slowly opens up the blood vessel that supplies it. The brain regulates its own blood supply. Now, if you have an impaired supply line, you can't create too much demand. But this SMR frequency is just this little tickly bit of a demand. And, and the little bit of an impaired opening is going to slowly open like a root on a sidewalk. It will be pried open by the demand over time. Mm -hmm. But if you create too much demand, you go up beyond that neutral positive perfusion, 16 hertz on up start to look like two and three standard deviations of hyperperfusion all the way up into gamma. Mm -hmm. So if I suddenly thought, oh, I heard gamma was part of consciousness, I think I'll do a whole bunch of yeah. gamma. Um, well, you know, um, in head trauma, Harry Kirasidis, you know, now passed, uh, uh, missed, missed the man, had the term Bama uh, because of <laughs> gamma being seen in head injury. Uh, he called it Bama. Um, and, you know, uh, so you're going to train Bama? You know? So, no, uh, you've got to be careful. You've got to be gentle and slow and steady. Uh, you, you, if the guys come into the gym for the first time, you don't sit them at the weight bench and toss 400 pounds on it and expect them to do something with it. You know, start with the bar with no weights on it, you know, okay, work your way up, you know, and, and that's what we have to do with the brain, a little coaxing at a time. Now, hyperbaric and gentle, there. The, the supply line is not the only way you're going to get the oxygen and glucose to function. The oxygen can come from everywhere because it, at high pressure and pure oxygen, it perfuses directly through the tissue. Once it's inside of you, it goes wherever it wants, cell to cell to cell, direct perfusion. So the little supply line that's impaired, it can, you can still get the oxygen downstream and it allows you to do the training without uh, necessarily running into quite the uh, restriction in how much you can, can push it. Yeah, so like you said, Jay, just um, back to the perfusion thing, hyperbaric helps support this training process by providing more oxygenation, increased perfusion to help enable that training to take place. Um, fostering a good environment for this training and healing, like the athlete who goes to the gym. Well, they need good nutrition. They need sleep, right? They, they need all the things to support their training. Another thing that we can do, and it's passive. It's not the training, but it's passive. 
is these are near-infrared photobiomodulation diodes. This is another thing that we can help support to give the brain what it needs and we can program in those frequencies from about 11 to 15 and put them over targeted areas and just to help, you know, near-infrared photobiomodulation has been associated, um, according to the literature, with increasing circulation and cellular metabolism at the level of ATP production in the mitochondria. Very, very um, helpful in creating the, uh, the healing process for the brain, not just from traumatic brain injury and any kind of ischemia, but also from COVID and chemo fog. It, we're seeing yeah. some of the same, it's still creating this ischemia. I could go down a rabbit trail and now, I'll rain myself. Yeah. If, if, also, if a stranger came to your laboratory and somebody was inside hooked up to everything that you hook everybody up to, uh, it, it would be quite a sight, quite a sight, you know, photobiomodulation uh, uh, in, inside a hyperbaric uh, 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 chamber, uh, uh, neurofeedback, uh, headset on, you know. The, so um, I, uh, have you, an, I have an image for you. <laughs> I have an image for you. Here's one. If, uh, if you want to see my screen, yeah, I sure have an image right. of that because that's, this is my signature is the multimodality approach. You know me, right? And it's about that whole, I'm about as ADHD as they come. And I've had a, a huge, a wide collection of head injuries. And so here I'll share my screen. This, this is really kind of what it would look like uh, here. Here we go. <laughs> so here we have my tech. He's got the EEG cap on. We're looking at do, doing some neurofeedback. He's on biofeedback, full peripherals. He's got photobiomodulation. And we literally just get, and he's got a little breath pacer on the screen here to remind him to breathe and slow it down. So anyway, I will stop sharing. You've so got a robot here. Only, but, <laughs> but he's not in the hyperbaric chamber. That goes afterwards. He takes his neuro nap afterwards in the chamber so that the brain can consolidate the learning and get some rest and oxygen. Uh, one other comment I wanted to back up. Mari, you made a very good point about women and the head injuries, the soccer women, that women have less musculature and thinner necks than men. The other thing is they have thinner skulls typically. So here's the skull. Men have typically have thicker skulls, and I don't mean to hit thick. We do you know, tend to have, state that, don't we? <laughs> but it's I know that just didn't. I didn't mean anything by that. It just kind of happened organic. But but women have thinner skulls, and there's no helmet involved. Um, and it doesn't have to be a sport. Okay, it can be whiplash in a car in a car accident. Yes. yes it yes. can be. It can be. I have you ever hit your head on something? One time I was walking out of the laundry room and the door was it wasn't open it wasn't closed it was halfway and i was just in a hurry and i walked straight into the door like ah, and, and cut me and i was seeing stars well that was a concussion have you ever fallen out of a tree um you know even getting in in, in a fight or it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be sport related yeah. and there's and you There's could catch theory. you could catch COVID and have long hauler COVID uh, ischemia uh, or have mm -hmm. a family history of migraine and have migraine ischemia. Uh, you can have um, aging and start to have vascular change <laughs> that causes ischemia. Uh, TIAs, transient ischemic attacks. Uh, all of these kinds of ischemia get treated quite effectively with the approaches um and and you know we've we've uh in the eeg we can't differentiate one kind from another from another the history and clinical presentation will determine what kind of ischemia it is we can spot the ischemia piece of cake and we can treat it um but you know the you know how it's diagnosed is is something else we uh, we've got a sensitive but non-specific uh, finding, and the lack of specificity isn't a problem clinically. Uh, the, the treatment works for the finding, 
regardless of the DSM categorization. And um, yeah. yeah, but at the same time, you've got to diagnose something in order to bill for something if you're a therapist. So, um, you know, pick your kind of ischemia. There's lots of them. Uh, uh, so uh, any brain inflammation is going to cause ischemia. Any brain swelling is going to cause ischemia. Um, uh, uh, you, you, uh, um, you, you've got uh, lots and lots of potential sources of it, but we can fix the problem. Uh, the, the brain has a built-in ability. You've got to train it properly, but if, if you train it properly, it has a built-in ability to fix itself. Jay and, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long ago the injury was. And Murray, you asked a really good question. When should we get started? When should we start with the treatment? Well, my answer, based on my experience, um, is right away. But like Jay said, you don't do too much too soon, but just start by supporting the brain with things like hyperbaric, good nutrition, um, healthy fats. So, so it's not uh, when, it's and, what or how. Yeah. You, you guys are all talking yeah, about training, about, but wait, hold on now. We're talking about training and all this other stuff. When it, these athletes, and I want to address the younger athletes because they have to figure this stuff out as, <laughs> as they age. Um, they, they get a physical every year to so get some baselines, you know, height, weight, and, and so forth. They get prodded, poked, and there, there isn't anything requiring a baseline for the, uh, the, the, the noodle, yeah. don't you? I would love it if that could become pro forma. I think that the means- major, major issue is, again, a lot of the work was done in, in the Canadian uh, Junior Hockey League. The, the amount of injury um, before people were, you know, even close to going pro, a lot of the injury occurs when they're younger and in developmental stages. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, what does a parent do? You have an eight-year-old who thinks they might want to start a sport or now as young as five or six. Yeah. And do you do these on a yearly basis? Who pays for the cost? You know, big well, questions. Why, why isn't it being done? Well, money. Really okay. But and, you and can always encourage them, awareness as well. encourage them to go into Sometimes. swimming. Your expenses, <laughs> goggles in a trunk. Yeah. <laughs> so, unless you miss the turn. Some, some of them some of them just don't want to know. Yeah. It's like yeah. the ostrich with the head in their sense. They don't want to know and they don't want to admit it. Yeah. Okay. Well, and stop your career before it started. Yeah. And furthermore, it may not even be because of football. It it could be birth trauma. I have a person that I'm working with who uh, was a four step delivery baby. Yeah, and I saw on his brain this this kid came out of the shoot you know with 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 a TBI, but had presented with symptoms on the autism spectrum. Mm. I looked at his brain. If I knew nothing about his history, I looked at his brain. I don't like to know anything at all. Just give me like just the the name, the date of birth, and the gender. That's all I want to know. And I'm like, this looks, when did this kid hit his head? Yeah. When did this, when did, it, it was first, so. This gets us into another category as well. I mean, are we talking about prevention? Are we talking about repair? Or are we talking about, you know, harm reduction? You know, a lot All of the above. we do of using the wrong things. It's really talking about harm reduction. And we're not talking about harm prevention. But on the, the other hand, what is life? You know, you talked about, um, you know, Rebecca, you know, have you ever fallen out of a tree? Any, any childhood that's worth having involves falling out of trees. And I, I will, you know, scream and yell from the treetops about that. So, yeah, it's, it's a larger I, a discussion that I think it makes a whole lot of sense to, to keep on having. Yeah, if it didn't cost and actually, anything, you know, I, Pete, there, there are, there are teams that have people come in and do EEG recordings early preseason. I think Becky uh, actually was involved in such a project or was starting to get involved in such a project where they're going to 
come in preseason, postseason, and and uh, do uh, EG recordings uh, on a, on an entire team. So um, it, it it's beginning. Uh, it's not common, unfortunately. Yeah. But you know, if it was common, we'd have trouble, you know, actually serving that market. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, l- luckily, neurofeedback is so well hidden uh, from the general public. <laughs> we can serve the market that finds us. Um, but, but if we, if if people knew what could be done, yeah. uh, and could find us and knew where we were yeah. and how what we did, uh, we and all of us had like five techs that could do the work with us or for us. We couldn't possibly serve the the population that would come to the door. So. You know, we're not really in competition with one another in the field. Uh, we're we're trying to educate the public about who we are, what we do, uh, so that the the rising tide of knowledge of what we do and what we can help with ends up rising all you know, all practices quite well. Uh, you don't worry about what the what the radius of your pie slice is. You worry about how big the pie is, and um, well, if, if it were free, Jay, how, how would you do it? How would you guys do it if it were free? I'm just throwing it out there. You you have the amplifier sitting there; it's already paid for. You have tech time; that's a variable cost. Okay, and you got to get somebody to read it if you don't know how to read it. But that being said, how how would you do it? What are you looking for? If you're if you're doing the recording before the season starts, and you're not trying to screen people out of the sport with the recording, you just record it. And you set it aside it. in an archive. I and like that. If, yeah. if yeah. they have a significant concussion or um, something happens, you've got the ability to pull out the archive material as the baseline. Examine, wh- examine what they've got now, pull up the archival and look at the difference. And you can see what, you know, what that whack in the head actually did. Yeah. Um, but and you got to have the, that, the archive data and again, record it, stick it away. Don't pay for any analysis on all of them when you're, you don't need it on all of them. Uh, cut your costs down, uh, get the analysis when the analysis is required uh, yeah. for, for a comparison yeah. and uh, do a recording more. at the end of the season and see if there's, you know, if there's a complaint during the summer after, after school's out, little Johnny can't, you know, think straight and they're or they've got a temper now or whatever uh pull the pre and post of the season and see whether there was something that didn't get noticed you know during the season that might have had a negative impact on brain function so but you furthermore that can actually help protect the sport organization because little johnny may have hit his head last summer nobody knew about it and the predisposing factor where just that little bump that wasn't any big deal took him over the edge and now he's having symptoms. So it could actually protect the organization. It's like, hey, that was already there. It's not because of this. And furthermore, it's going to protect little Johnny from potentially having another injury too soon before that brain could heal. So little Johnny could get some help. Furthermore, little Johnny might be able to perform in school better and not have to be struggling with grades or or keeping his academic criteria up when he gets to high school, college, or whatever. So there are a lot of benefits to it. Proof is a is a tough one, though. I'm a little bit uh, trepidatious on that. We we have uh, in our region some families of wealth who not sport related at all, but choose to to have their families um, uh, mapped just just in case, in case of an accident, in case of, you know, what have you. But uh, yeah, I don't know, especially with, with car accidents, this whole legacy of, of proof and cause, because as we all know, yeah. uh, you know, how many times do you have to be hit? Is it, is, is it the first hit that's the cause or is it the fifth hit that's the cause? And what about all the ones in between? So. Yeah, Rebecca, I, I very respectfully, um, I wouldn't say disagree, but I'd like to keep that discussion open, you know, careful what we wish for. Uh-huh. Yeah, so another thing I want, I want to pick up back on 
fostering the healing process is, Murray, you've done a fabulous job with your um, the tech stress. And, and, and another thing that's really important in recovery is limiting the screen time and, and giving that brain a chance to rest. And I just wanna, I just wanna tell you that I, I so admire the work that you've done in, in, in really shedding a lot of light on, on the environment that that brain lives in, in the tech, the tech stress from screens and, and well, the hyper aroused that all. I, everybody says it's unprecedented, but yeah, the, the amount yeah. of arousal they're all in is astronomical. Can we loop back um, to something else? I, Jay, just for um, you know, individuals again, uh, practicing, um, you're talking before about uh, Delta. Um, how can a clinician uh, explore whether uh, excessive Delta is a sign of a stage of repair versus a sign of damage. So essentially yeah. when to intervene and when not to intervene. This, Question today. <laughs> so Delta by definition is a band. The band has within it different things. It has the Delta rhythm, which is gonna be a peak in that band. It also has slow content, which just stacks up against the DC end of the spectra. The slow end of that is glial, and the glial repair is going to end up with a very large delta. That's the low frequency slow end. It's not the rhythmic delta, it's the slow and it's just the upsweep. And um, if you looked at the waveforms, it's the baseline drift on the waveform. And it's, it's literally a DC field generated by the healing potentials from microglia, the angels and assassins that we have uh, in, in our, our, our brains. Um, and um, uh, the, the delta rhythm is healthy during some stages like sleep or very early life. Mm -hmm. But if you have visible delta rhythm when you're focused on a task, it's not a good finding. Mm -hmm. And it usually is going to point towards a pathology. Uh, delta is generated in an abnormal way by white matter injuries. Now, a traumatic brain injury that's more severe will produce the rhythmic delta. During the healing process, the, the slow wave of the microglia uh, will end up being present, but the, the rhythmic delta ends up being the white matter injury itself, or the early in life, the white matter is not myelinated and you get lots of delta, you know, age six months, one year, two years. The amount of delta is gigantic. You're both kinds. I mean, you're you're metabolically just gigantically growing, and uh, your your uh, white matter isn't all myelinated up. So you get uh, cortical layers of, of pyramidal cells uh, end up having what's called a sheet dipole, and they make delta. Be because there's no white matter input to the cortical area. So the, they make a sheet dipole, and the whole dipole makes it the rhythm uh, of delta because of the lack of white matter input. Now, that if you damage white matter later in life, you get the same phenomenon, you know, sheet dipole making delta rhythm. So, um, and uh, if you have a delta deficit in a database, you have to think, is this a neocortical dynamics problem? Uh, then you, you've got a resting state network. And if you're just in the resting state network and your, your glia don't shift your networks, if it just sit there with no network dynamics, the slow wave of the, the shifting of the networks isn't happening. So the lack of neocortical dynamics is a delta deficit. And 
you know, it, don't train up rhythmic delta if, just because the stats tell you you've got a delta deficit. You, you might just have to get the brain unstuck from the default mode by turning on the salience network, which turns off the default mode and turns on the executive network, and then let it go back to rest. Those triple networks dynamics give you the low frequency sweep that's in the normative population. Their brains aren't sitting there doing nothing. They're healthy people. You know, so uh, the, the delta deficits that we run into are neocortical dynamics problems, not the fact that they haven't had enough head injuries. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the, the term delta is a catch-all uh, and it has a few things all lumped in there. And at the very low frequency end of that, the infraslow, infralow frequency uh, content well below one hertz uh, ends up being a very important aspect of the EEG function. The glia literally have a slow, they control the slow waves in the EEG. If the slow wave goes electronegative, the brain activity is on. Rhythmic activity is dancing. If it goes electropositive, it shuts that down. And you can learn to control that to turn off epilepsy. That's the slow cortical potential work by Burbalmer. You know, go electropositive, stop that seizure. And it's quite effective. They're published in epilepsy. It's considered fully efficacious as, a, as an approach. Um, uh, but the, you know, the, the dynamics of the brain are changed by that. Uh, recently, uh, Dirk DeRitter uh, showed that the slow, the infraslow, infralow frequency training uh, at the midline uh, could actually uh, flip off the salience network and flip on the default mode and vice versa. So uh, they're they're um, uh, they're using uh, DC stim and infralow frequency training. And he's actually done implants to into networks to try and do multi-site stimulation paradigms with implanted electrodes. You know, he's he's got really advanced techniques. Jay, and, is he going to be at the Susan Summit? Gee, why would he not be? You know, <laughs> we're old friends, and I told him, you know, we're hanging out for my birthday this year. Come on over, and he said, sure. Just tell me what days I'll be there. And oh, you have to do a talk. Yeah, you know, doing talks is fun. So we'll, we'll, we'll have a good time with Dirk. And he's really very easily approachable. He's a very nice fellow. And, and um, uh, the, the Yacht Club has a bar, and you can sit and sip with Dirk and talk neuroscience, you know. So, um, Rebecca, it, we met at Susan. Uh, we're, we're at the end of the yeah. show. Uh, what were your thoughts of that uh, little uh, outing that we did? Oh, that's the best party ever. EEG, neuro nerd. It was the best. It was a lovely location. The company, the company was wonderful. And that just learning. We were learning from each other. We, you know, we're we're all. Nobody knows everything. Some of us more than others, but we're all together, just having a good old time, learning and like having music and food and fun and revelry and and it's a lovely setting and um they, they did a great job it's just great group of people and um what a better occasion to celebrate than jay's birthday and all of us all get together it's just awesome only a few and spots coming left. up on saturday night i'm throwing a birthday party and there'll be lots of cake and there's a prime rib and station where they'll be carving it for people and there's vegetarian options for people that don't do prime rib and, and stuff, but, but you know, we're, there was even gluten free. Yeah. And, and we've actually got some very, very good wines. <laughs> I can't drink, but there's some very, very good wines. We've had people that have good taste in wines, selecting wines for the dinner. So, um, I, 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 I think, uh, if you go there and you notice that sitting in front of the room, I'm having, more fun and you're only having half as much fun as me i'm having twice as much fun as you so come on get with it you know you uh, uh but
the whole event is very casual. It's very fun. It's interactive. Uh, this isn't the professor speaking down on people. This this is an interaction with with high level folks uh, uh, abounding. It, it can only hold eighty. It's a little tiny town. The the largest facility I could really you know book for something like this is the yacht club. So um, it's a nice facility. Um, and um, the town, old town uh, Sassoon is uh, walkable. Uh, the hotel, you walk one direction, two blocks, you got five restaurants. And you walk the other two blocks, you're at, at the yacht club. So Stumble. it's... Stumble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Re Re Rebecca, uh, how, how, do we, how do we send people uh, that heard about you? Say, man, I'm in Cali. What, what areas do you serve? How do people yeah. find you? How can we send uh, dollars your way? So I am at Cure Medical, Cure, C-U-R-E, and right on PCH across the street from Malibu Pier. And um, I can, you can look at uh, the phone number is area code 310-456. 1458. Um, you can just go to our website, Cure Medical, Cure Daily, and um, book an appointment. Come see us. There is, we, we're doing, we do wellness packages. There's a beautiful hotel right across the street and ocean front. So you can come stay at the hotel, do intensive work with us for a week. It's a lovely setting. It's an integrative medical practice. So there's MD, chiropractor. We do nutritional IVs. Um, there's a gym. We even have one of the George Foreman juniors teaching um, boxing downstairs in the gym. Oh, so wow. uh, full holistic practice. And just mention uh, Neuro Noodle and tack on another 10%. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. And, you know, <clears throat> No, I'll tell you what, mention that you saw this on Neuro Noodle, and we'll give you a 10% discount. I was going to say tack on 10%, but you're too kind, Rebecca. <laughs> Dr. Marie Swingle J. Gonkelman, Rebecca Basham, thank you for another fine episode of the Neuro Noodle Neurofeedback Podcast. The Neuro Noodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. 